Good morning. It is good to see you this morning. Appreciate the opportunity to be with you. I'd like to express appreciation to the worship team for music this morning, bringing us before the throne of grace. They did a great job. And um, let me invite you to take your Bible, if you will, and turn with me to Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through 5 will be our text this morning. Title of the message is Vital Signs of a Healthy Church. Vital Signs of a Healthy Church. While you're turning there, I'll just share with you just a little bit about myself. Uh, my wife and I, my wife Pat and I uh, live in West Monroe. Uh, we had the privilege of serving as your uh, North American missionaries uh, for a little over about 20 years in uh, upstate New York. Uh, primary responsibility was church planning and associational development. We first arrived in upstate New York. We had three churches and one new work start. Um, we covered nine counties and two half counties. And uh, so we had a, a challenge, uh, but God blessed us. Uh, when we left in 2008 uh, from the northeast, we had 17 churches and church plants. Uh, we served at the North American Mission Board for uh, about two and a half years before retiring and moving back to West Monroe. We have uh, three children and 13 grandchildren, two great-grandchildren. Uh, I know I don't look that old. No, I'm just... <laughs> but uh, we have been blessed. Since retired, I've served as the uh, supply in, in interim and transitional pastor. Also drive a bus for uh, our elementary school. And so stay in touch with the young as well as those who are my age <laughs> and in between. This morning, we want to focus our attention here on uh, chapter uh, 16 in the book of Acts, and in particular in verse 5 in just a moment, uh, dealing with vital signs of a healthy church. Notice that uh, Luke says, Then it came to Derbe and Lystria, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman, who believed, but his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystria and Iconium. And Paul wanted to have him go on with him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region. They all knew that his father was Greek. And as they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles and the elders at Jerusalem. And so the churches were strengthened in faith, and increased in number daily. Fathers, we come to you this morning. We want to thank you for the opportunity to be in your house with your people. We thank you for this beautiful Lord's Day that you've given unto us, the coolness of it, Lord. And just, uh, Father, we thank you for uh, the time that we have now to uh, focus on your word. I pray that you'll help us to lay aside the cares, the activities that might be before us today. And I pray, Father, that we might allow your Holy Spirit to just bring these words alive, uh, Father, uh, to us this morning. And, Father, as we look at uh, the vital signs of a healthy church, God, that uh, we may look at our lives individually and then as a congregation. And, Father, allow you to make whatever adjustments in the, uh, that we need to make in order to accomplish your will in our lives. Because we ask it in Jesus' sweet and matchless name. Amen. You'll notice here in verse 5 it says, So the churches were strengthened in faith and they increased in number daily. Dr. 
Uh, Donald McGavern said it's God's will that his church grow and that his lost children are found. When I was in the pastorate uh, at Bastrop in uh, Riverside Baptist Church, I had a little three by five card. I had just come across that statement, and I wrote on a three by five card uh, those words. And I placed it on my desk so that every morning when I came into the office and I sat down, that I would be reminded that it's God's will uh, that his church grow and his lost children are found. So that I could be razor sharp and be focused, uh, laser focused on what God's purpose is for his church. Uh, Dr. Roy Edgman gave this definition of church growth. He says, church growth is the uh, human, divine human process of adding to a church those that are saved through Jesus Christ, equipping them for responsible discipleship, resulting in witnessing, ministering, and establishing new fellowship of believers. Throughout the New Testament, it gives us a thorough, well-documented report of the origins and the growth of the first century churches as you begin to look at the book of Acts. Sometimes it's easier to spiritualize such a report uh, than to document the conclusions with hard statistics. I know when I was in the pastorate and we would go to uh, meetings and other pastors would be there and you would ask them, well, how's it going? It's going great. You know, and um, how was Sunday? Oh, we had we had a good attendance, da da da. You know, but they, you know, it's kind of surface. They wasn't. It didn't really give you any details how it really was. But that's not the case here uh, in the the book of the New Testament. Here, it, the report is carefully documented with precise uh, numerical numbers. Now, we're not going to read the verses at this point. I will read them uh, later on in the message this morning. But in Acts 1.15, it says, The first church in Jerusalem began in an upper room with just a small band of 120 disciples. This was immediately following, of course, the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. He had just ascended back to the Father. And uh, so we have 120 people that are assembled together there. In Acts 2:41 and 42, on the day of Pentecost, it says that there were 3,000 people baptized. They were instructed in the Word and added to Jerusalem community. Can you imagine 3,000 people being saved, baptized on the same day? Uh, man, what an exciting time to to live and, and to be able to see that happen. Acts 4, 4 says, However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. Not only 3,000, but 5,000. That's not counting the women and the children. Uh, with careful detail, Dr. Luke records the growth of the pattern of the day of Pentecost uh, to the imprisonment and, in, and the questioning of the early disciples. Here he records that these five men uh, heard the word and believed. Then you look in Acts 5.14, it says, uh, Believers were more added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. They didn't have a word for thousands, and so from this point on, you'll see that he talks about multitudes. Multitudes, 3,000, 120, 3,000, 5,000, then, then multitudes are added unto the Lord. And so uh, we find... <clears throat> The emphasis upon the fact of multitudes of men and women. In Acts 6, 7, it says that, again, the number of disciples were multiplied. From this point on, the book of Acts, the New Testament epistle, it underscores the multiplication of churches as well as church members. We don't see that today, not in, not in America. 
Uh, in other nations, maybe, uh, like Korea, it's one of the fastest growing uh, as far as Christianity and some other places, but uh, we don't see that. We're not able to, uh, you know, to experience like what they were experiencing at that time at the present. Uh, but we find the book of Acts clearly states that growth was an ongoing process of the New, church, New Testament church. This was the norm. It was not abnormal. Today it's abnormal if you see a church growing. If it's running, you know, whatever the number might be, uh, it doesn't mean it's healthy. They may have large numbers. That doesn't mean it's healthy. We're going to look at that aspect of it. Uh, it's not about size. It's about health, folks. And that's what we need to understand. God uses healthy churches to accomplish his will. And so it's God's will that his church grow and that his lost children are found. Now I'd like to, for us to concentrate, uh, uh, you know, contrast that with the present day reality. Uh, some of you might uh, know the name of Dr. Rayner, Tom Rayner. He was with the LifeWay for several years there as their uh, director. He wrote an article one time entitled The Anatomy of a Sick Church. He gave ten symptoms to watch for. Here are the ten that most common. There were others, but these were the most common symptoms. He said declining worship attendance. Number two is decline in frequency of attendance of church members. Third, a lack of joy and vibrancy in the worship service. Fourth, little evangelistic fruit. Fifth, low community impact. Sixth, more meetings than ministry. Seven, business meetings where the disagreements reflect obvious bitterness and anger. Very few guests in worship centers. Number nine, worship wars. And then number 10, unrealistic expectations of pastoral care. There were many other symptoms, but these were the top 10 that he found. And he uh, is, uh, when he was at LifeWay, still is at, in the work that he's involved in now. Uh, just uh, He deals with uh, hundreds and thousands of churches and has over the many years. The question is, if this is the case, how can a church stay healthy and vibrant? How can a church stay healthy and vibrant? It's important for a church to stay focused on its vision. There was a point in time in the life of this church that somebody, God moved on somebody's heart, had a vision to establish this church. There was a need for a church to be here, to reach the people, the population in the area. And so we find that uh, we have to stay focused on or vision, because vision produces life, and it produces passion. In uh, Proverbs 29:18, it says that where there is no vision, the people perish. Other translations say that they run wild, they run naked. In other words, you just do your own thing. And uh, so uh, we, it's important that where there's no vision, people perish. Yogi Berra some of you are old enough to remember when the catcher of the New York Yankees of yesteryear, uh, you probably read Yogiisms. I love his Yogiism. And uh, he said, if you don't know where you're going, you might end up somewhere else. And folks, that's exactly what's happened in the life of many of our churches. They don't know where they're going, and they have ended up in places they don't want to be. And they have found themselves asking the question, what happened? It is God's will that his church grow and his lost children are found. I'd like to just share with you four elements that we can apply in our churches that will create growth. First of all, a growing church must have a climate of prayerfulness. A growing church must have a climate 
of prayerfulness. And I'm not talking about prayer where you open, you know, with prayer at the beginning of service and close at the end of service. I'm talking about a way of life. I'm talking about prayer without ceasing. I'm talking about being in the presence of the Father on a daily basis, not just on Sunday morning, but experiencing His presence throughout the day and being able to talk with Him just like we talk with our loved ones. I don't just speak to my wife on Sunday. I don't just speak to her, uh, you know, in the morning or evening. But we communicate together. When we are together, we, we talk. And that's exactly what prayer is. It's just talking with the Father. And so uh, there needs to be a climate of prayerfulness. In Acts 2.42 it says, And they were constantly devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And you'll find this throughout the book of Acts like this as far as accounts where they spent that time in prayer. The great secret of like in our experience, in our life, and our work is the neglect of prayer. We get up in the morning and uh, we just, you know, some people have their coffee, other people have their Diet Coke like me to get a little pep in your step and, you know, where you can get going. And, and uh, so, uh, but, and then we go throughout the day and we find ourselves at home. We come in, have a meal maybe, and then watch a little TV and go to bed. And we never take time to spend with the Father. The average Christian, I'm talking about those like you and me, that come to church. Pray less than five minutes a day. Think about that, folks. Pray less than five minutes a day. And we're talking about how do you develop a relationship? If I just talk to my wife five minutes a day, do you think she would get the idea that maybe something was wrong? <laughs> maybe I didn't want to talk with her. I just didn't. Whatever. If I want to have an a intimate relationship with her, we have to stay in communion. And the same thing is true with our Heavenly Father. And so we need to realize that the great secret of all lack in our experience in our life and in our work is the neglect of prayer. Henry Blackaby, in his devotional book, Experiencing God Day by Day, said, Without being intimately acquainted with God and His will, all other labors are futile. And many times that's the way we feel. We get despondent, we get discouraged because our labors are futile. And it's because we're doing it through the energy of the flesh instead of the leadership of the Holy Spirit. James brings it out very clearly in James 4.2. He says, you have not because you ask not. These words uh, contain the secret of poverty and powerlessness in the average Christian. And that is the neglect of prayer. Oswald Chambers said, Worshiping God is the great essential of fitness. If you've not been worshiping when you get uh, into your work, you will not only be useless yourself, but a tremendous hindrance to those who are associated with you. I was introduced to that statement in a little book on how to worship Jesus Christ in a basic training when I was in upstate New York, and we were training our church planters. And the guy that was leading and gave all of us one of these little books, this very simple little book. And it was right there at, on the very first pages. And, I mean, it, it, God just gripped my heart right there. I had to stop at that moment. 
Because you see, at that time, I was church, serving as church planner strategist, not only identifying an area that we needed, God was leading for us to establish a church, but also finding a planner, then raising the support to help uh, bring that planner onto the field, etc., like this, in order to, to begin those works in an unreached area where we only had 2% evangelical. 98% of our people did not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That's here in America, folks. And that's in the communities where we live right now. We just have to understand most people do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And when I read that statement, I said, Lord, I don't want to be useless. I, I, I want to I burn out. I don't want to rust out. That's why I'm still preaching. That's why I'm still doing what I'm doing. Because I want to burn out until God calls me home. As long as i got breath, God's got a purpose for me. As long as you've got bread, God's got a purpose for you. And we find that, that not only that I don't want to be useless, but Lord, I don't want to be a, a hindrance. Here were men and women uh, that were uprooted, leaving family, friends, coming to a place to try to start a work where most of them would give 90 hours a week because they're, they're the only person trying to get that work started. 90 hours a week trying to, to get a work started. And Lord, Lord, I, I don't want to be a hindrance uh, to those uh, folks that, that you are bringing our direction. A lot of Christians are asking, why is it I make so little progress in my Christian life? And the response is neglect of prayer. God answers, you have not because you ask not. There are a lot of preachers that are asking, why is it I see so little fruit in my labors? And God answers, neglect of prayer. You have not because you ask not. There are Bible teachers that are saying, why is it I see so few in attendance in my class for Bible study? And God answers again, neglect of prayer. Both ministers and churches are asking, why is it that church makes so little difference or headway against unbelief? and error, and sin, and worldliness. Folks, think about it. There's no telling how many churches I passed this morning from West Monroe to here in an hour and a half. But yet look at the condition of our communities and the condition in the world in which we live. We're not making any difference. We're not being the salt and the light in order to penetrate the darkness to give flavor and a taste of what it means to be in a right relationship and fellowship with Jesus Christ, where it's alive and it's vibrant. If folks can't see that in you and they can't see it in me, why would they want it? Why would it make a difference to them? If they don't see life in us, we find that these men whom God set forth as a pattern of what he expected Christians to be, the apostles regarded prayer as the most important business in their lives. We find with multiplying responsibilities of the early church, remember they went from 120 to 3,000 to 5,000 to multitudes. Now, folks, there's a lot of responsibility just to make disciples out of that, those kind of numbers. That's a lot of work. And yet we find that 
And when the responsibilities of the early church crowded in upon them, uh, they called the multitude of the disciples, and this is what they said to them. If you look back in Acts chapter uh, 6, you'll find this recorded in verses 2 and following. He said, It's not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit, wisdom, whom we can appoint over the business this particular business, a division there between uh, the Greek and the, uh, the Jewish widows. And we're going to give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And what happened has happened in our day when we call a pastor, and right now you're in between pastors. But what happens in the life of the pastor is that we expect so much of the pastor that he's pulled so many different directions, that he don't take the time or have the time to spend in prayer and in the Word. The primary focus, the primary cause, uh, call upon his life. And so when he stands in the pulpit, he can't give you meat. That's what's happening in our churches. We find that they're starving to death. They need to hear the Word of God. They need the Word of God preached and taught. That's going to make a difference when you walk out of these doors. Your tank's full, and it's going to hold you over till you get back. And you'll do the things in between to help. The history of the church has always been a history of grave difficulties to overcome. This, look, when this we're reading here from the book of Acts... We're not facing anything new today that they didn't face back there. In fact, they faced a lot worse. We may face it in the coming days, but most of these guys ended up giving their life for the gospel. They became a martyr for the gospel. So you think it's tough now? It's going to get tougher. We just need to be faithful and know how to live and be prepared for the end time. And when Jesus does come, And we look at this and we find that the history of the church has always been a history of difficulty. The devil hates the church. He seeks every way to block its progress by false doctrines, division, inward corruption. That's what's going on in a lot of our churches today. And why they're not effective, but by prayer, a clear way can be made through everything. A church that is prayerful is going to grow. You mark that down. But secondly, a growing church needs a Bible centered climate it needs a bible centered climate notice in Acts 6 4 the apostle said we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to what the ministry of the word the ministry of the word the bible is the divinely inspired word of god it is profitable for uh, for instruct uh, for doctrine reproof for correction for instruction in righteousness that the man of god might be thoroughly equipped for the work that god has called him to do. Ryra says the Bible came from God through men who wrote it. God superintended these human authors so that using these individual personalities, they composed and recorded without error God's Word to man. Think about that. From Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21, we've got a period of probably 1,600 years there, 40 different individuals, and the Spirit of God moves upon these men, and it all comes together in one book. It's all about Jesus. All the way through. All about Jesus. From the time Adam and Eve sinned, and God took that animal and made a blood sacrifice, 
till he hung on the cross. It's all about Jesus. Only God could superintend something like that and bring all these men's words and everything into what we hold in our hands today. And we find that uh, the, the, not only uh, the Baptist faith and message begins its statement on Scripture by saying that the Bible was written by men divinely inspired and is a record of God's revelation of himself to man. Henry uh, Myers, Henrietta Myers said, uh, the Bible is a traveler's map. It is a soldier's sword. It's the Christian's chart. We must read it to be wise. We must believe it and to be safe and practice it to be holy, as we sing about a while ago. Society is biblically illiterate and it's morally adrift, but open to spiritual reality. I'm going to say that again because a lot of people say, well, they just don't want to come to church. They don't want, you know, this, you know, they're not interested. No, that's not the case. Society is biblically ignorant. They were like me. When I come to know Jesus Christ, I couldn't quote you John 3.16. I'd been in church all my life, and that's a sad commentary. I'd been in church. My mom didn't send me to church. She started taking me nine months before I was born. (laughs) I was brought up in church. And uh, yet, God had to take me all the way to Japan to get me in a place when I was in the military, get me in a place and position that I realized I was separated from him, that I was going to spend an eternity separated from him, unless by faith I invited him into my heart, I repented my sin, and by faith allowed him to take up residence in my heart. I mean, society is biblically illiterate, and it's morally adrift. We can see that, but it is open to spiritual reality. The church is not dying, but it's failing to make significant gains in people's hearts. We do everything else, but we're not making gain in people's hearts. A church which is Bible-centered is a church that grows. It creates a climate of growth. We need Bible-centered churches. There's a third element, and that is we need a loving climate. There needs to be more love and acceptance. There's not as much love in our churches today as there ought to be. And I've served churches since 1972. And so I've been in a lot of churches, different sizes, church just like your church. And we find that there's a need for a loving climate. There was a husband who looked at his wife after she had displeased him, and she snapped, Honey, how could the Lord make you so beautiful but so cotton-picking dumb? That dude had to be dumb himself to say that to her. But anyway, she replied, I guess the Lord made me beautiful so you could love me and made me dumb so I could love you. And so, you know, there's just a lack of compatibility uh, after, uh, you know, uh, often it's a a severe problem, whether it's in government or whether it's in labor or management, the home or the church. You look at our our government today, people that we have elected uh, to, to represent us. It's more about a party. It's more about, you know, their personal gains. It's not about the people, we the people. We see our country totally divided. We, we can't even work together there in Congress between the House and the Senate, between Republicans. You can't even work together. But not only is that true there in government, but, but we find it in our home and in our church. It's always sad to hear someone say, the church, that they're, they're having problems. Because you see, that you know what that reflects to the lost world out there? What it reflects to the community? They hear it. 
I mean, bad news travels real fast. <laughs> I mean, before you can get home, if something happens, they know about it. And the age of, of, of communication like we have today, it's instant. It used to be weeks before we would know something like what's taking place over in Israel. Right now, we see immediately what happens. And the world, we see how they're responding. We find that we need to understand that, that God intended for us to have a relationship with each other, to love one another. Uh, there are two important vital signs every guest looks for uh, in a church. Uh, and this, had, Dr. Rayner has researched this, and like he does in, in so many things, and, and just getting uh, the, really the heartbeat or, uh, you know, of where the churches are. There are two vital signs uh, every guest looks for in a church. Number one is a sense of the presence of God. A sense of the presence of God. Man, when we come into this place, we ought to, we ought to be bringing with us what our experience has been during the week with the Lord, and we should reach in a, you know, we should reach the highest point of worship and experience God's presence. But there's a second thing. They want to sense that God's people love one another and that they love them. If they don't sense those two things, the presence of God, and they don't sense that you love each other, we can find that that will be a turnoff for them. Society is biblically illiterate, and it is morally adrift. But I want you to know that, that if they sense these two things, they, they're going to be responsive to it. God has given the world a right to judge us by how we love one another. In John 13, 34, and 35, it says, A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I've loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one to another. Now, there's a difference between being a Christian and a disciple. Yes, a person can come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior by faith and repentance. But to be a follower, a disciple of Christ like his earlier followers, that's something completely different. But he says this is a qualification. If you're going to be my disciple, it's going to be obvious to the world because of your love. For one another, not only because your love for him, but for one another. Jesus said the way that we're his disciples is to love one another. God has provided the ideal place for us to grow, and that's his church. This building is not, uh, it's not, uh, the church is not just a building or an organization. Although we use both of these, a church is a body of baptized believers who have covenanted together to carry out Christ's ministry in the world. That's what it is. Someone has said the only kind of person in the world, and that's the uh, uh, said the only kind of person in the world, and that is a person for whom Jesus died. There's no rich people, there's no poor people, there's no illiterate people, educated, red, black, white, yellow, brown. There's only one kind of person, and that's the kind of person that Jesus died for. For God so loved the world, and I tell you, it's hard. To stay focused on that. With all that's going on in our world today and the culture that we're in, it's easy to be cynical and to look at individuals and just write them off. Well, guess what? That's who Jesus died for. Think back with me. 
Where were you before you came to be a believer? What was your life like? See, we were all in that boat at one time. Our churches need to be loving regardless of race, uh, social standing. When a person comes to church, they should be made to feel welcome. We're all equal at the foot of the cross. It's all level ground there, folks. We need to realize that. Where there's this kind of acceptance and love and joy, there will be a growing church. People want to be a part of something that is happening and something that is loving. And I'll close with this one final point. A growing church needs to be evangelistic. It needs to be evangelistic. Definition of evangelism is simply God reaching out to people through His people, God loving people through His people, God seeking people through His people. That's all it is. Nothing hard about it. It's just simply God taking you and me and for us to be His mouthpiece to be able to communicate the gospel, to take our life and to demonstrate what it means to be in a relationship with God. Why is it the church is the best unit of evangelism? Dr. B. Gray Allison, who was president, who was president emeritus of Mid-America Seminary, gave these three reasons. He said, it's the only institution to do what Jesus told us to do. None of the other charity organizations, Salvation Army, uh, whatever it might be, the moose, goose, loose, I don't know what, you know, they do good things. But only the church is the institution equipped to do what Jesus told us to do. It's where we meet regularly and to fellowship and worship together, just like you did this morning. Beautiful. Man, I mean, you need to put that on your, on your Facebook, just fellowshipping together uh, right before, you know, when you, you ask them to fellowship. Uh, they didn't even listen to you, you know. Just kept fellowshipping. That's a beautiful thing. That's a tremendous testimony. That's what the world needs to see. That regardless of our age, race, or social standing, we can fellowship together in Jesus. He's the common denominator, folks. It is a place where the Bible is taught and preached regularly. Donald McGavern said again, it's God's will that his church grow and his lost children are found. You see, church growth is the addition to the church of those that are saved through Jesus Christ. And it's clear that the early church understood the ministry of evangelism and that their primary uh, evangelism be their primary mission to the world. You think it was tough, it's tough today. Go back and read history. It's tough then. A whole lot tougher. It could cost you your head. You know, it could cost you your life. You could be used uh, there in the Colosseum for sport where people would watch and they'd take the wild animals like this and, and they'd take a rope and put on this arm and this arm and, and the crowd would watch those animals pull you apart or where you'd be used as a human torch to light the roads there in Rome. Say, man, it's tough today. Really? It's only tough if we make it tough. The Holy Spirit of God paves the way. He opens the hearts. He uses us as a mouthpiece or in our life to demonstrate it. 
In Acts 2.41 it says, Then gladly they received His word and were baptized that same day, and they were added to them 3,000 souls. Acts 5.14, And believers more added to the Lord multitudes of both men and women. Acts 4.4 says, Howbeit many of them heard the word, believed, and another men was 5,000 as we mentioned earlier. In Acts 3, Peter and John were going to the temple and there was a lame man and he looked up and he was asking for alms. And, and, uh, but Peter and John said, silver and gold we do not have, but what we do have we will give to you. In the name of Jesus, rise and be made whole. It's interesting here that the man asked for money, but he got legs. Which do you think he really preferred? The money or the legs? Well, that's a no-brainer. He'd rather have the legs. But guess what? He didn't know he could do have them. And people don't know that they can have eternal life today unless you and I live it and we speak it in order for them to respond. A community does not say, tell us about hell or tell us about heaven. A community will be asked to be provided recreation, to uh, be socialized. They do not have enough spiritual insight to know that, uh, what to ask for, and that is a life-transforming power of Jesus Christ. That's their greatest need. Let me tell you something. The church can never compete with the world as far as entertainment and what the world has to offer. But the entertainment cannot give them transforming life. Only Jesus Christ, and that's through the church. Churches must be evangelistic. You have, you can have good preaching, Bible-believing people. You can have a great organization, but unless people are saved, people go away without real joy and excitement. I want to tell you, in our church last Sunday, I had a man sitting in front of me. He was 74 years old, okay, uh, sitting in front of me. Hymn of invitation given. This man gets up, goes forward during the invitation, tells the preacher, said, Preacher, pray for me. He said, I'm a sinner. Preacher asked him, said, Hey, you, you ever trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? No. Would you like to do that? I would. 74 years old. That doesn't happen, folks. The oldest one I ever led to the Lord was in her 80s, a prominent uh, member of society in the community. But she... It, the Holy Spirit just kept nagging at her heart. She'd been a member of the Methodist Church and the Baptist Church. Nobody ever had dealt with her about what her spiritual condition was because they were looking at her position and not at her, not outwardly and not inwardly. And she invited Jesus into heart and was baptized. This gentleman was saved. And I want to tell you, I mean, it just broke loose. <laughs> uh, the congregation was excited to see this man uh, receive Jesus Christ. It is God's will that His church grow and His lost children are found. Is there any reason why you would not be, a willing, be, be willing to be a part in fulfilling God's plan for His church right here in Newton? Can your church and your Lord count on you to help get the job done, to create a climate that is prayerful, that is Bible-centered, that is loving and that is evangelistic. Here's what you need to do. First of all, realize you're wanted, you're needed, and you're necessary. Everybody is equal. Everybody's important. Regardless of 
what God calls you to do. Renew your relationship with God and His people if you already have that relationship with Him. Our relationship with God is directly related to our relationship to each other. In other words, if we have unconfessed sin in, in, in our life, uh, we need to confess it to the Lord and accept His promise of forgiveness. He says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Amen? Man, I'm, I, that verse is exciting to me because, you see, I sin every day. I didn't write. I'll have a thought, or I'll say a word, or I'll have a action or reaction and I have to say God forgive me and claim that promise if you have unresolved conflict with anyone humble yourself and go to that person resolve it respond by being fat and I don't mean that physically I mean faithful and available and teachable if we're in a right relationship with God we'll be in a right relationship with each other and folks, I want you to know that we'll be in a position to be faithful, available, and teaching. If we'll do those things, church can grow. It'll be healthy. It'll attract people who are outside these four walls that needs that transforming power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me as we bow and we're going to go to our Lord in a word of prayer. We'll have a hymn of invitation. And uh, as our team comes forward to lead us, I'll be here at the front. If you need to speak with me, I'll be glad to talk with you. If you need to speak with someone else, you may just want to come and kneel here at the front and spend time in prayer. That's up to you. Uh, you know, whatever God's doing in your heart, your life. Father, as we come to you, thank you for this beautiful Lord's Day. Thank you for the privilege and the joy we have to be in your house. And Lord, just to uh, study your word together for these few moments, Lord, just God, I pray that uh, what we have shared this morning, that uh, we will look, first of all, in our own life, uh, am, am I healthy? Uh, as a, as I co- have I come to a place that I have trusted you as Lord and Savior by faith and repentance? And if so, have I followed you in believers' baptism? And am I a member of this church? Is this what uh, where I, you have led me to invest my life? Father, is, is, if this is true, and Father, I pray that we'll look into our heart and, and, and have that uh, spiritual uh, examination just like we have physical examinations, Lord in order that we might see the symptoms and get, allow you to get to the main source of the problem, uh, Lord, that would keep us from, uh, Lord, having that personal relationship with you and, and, and experiencing your presence, Lord, and being effective in attracting people to Jesus. And I just pray, Father, for, for uh, each member of the church here today, Lord, that, that they'd be willing to do their part in order to, uh, Lord, that they might uh, see the church continue to grow, to have the kind of fellowship that was exhibited here earlier, Lord, and Father, as they search for a pastor, Lord, that if they may be able to match up, you match the man with the people here for this community to lead them forward, Lord, and, and being able to worship and, and Lord, to accomplish uh, uh, the ministry and mission uh, that you would have in this place because we ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.